The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Looking forward to getting into the Word this morning. Resurrection Sunday is such a wonderful thing and in, in, in a celebration, a, a time to focus on something that really is of the, the highest level of importance and honestly something that can be a bit of a challenge. I want to get into the Word into a, in just a moment and show you what I mean when I say that. Uh, as we prepare to get into the Word, I, I want to give you a few things that we're going to look, uh, look for in the Scripture here. One of the things that we're going to find is what God has accomplished uh, through the cross. That's an important thing. Uh, you, you may have made note there some of the songs that we sang together were about the cross and the, the accomplishments of the cross. You know, it's in our, our music and our celebration. Uh, there's some really great things in the scripture to take note of just to see what it is that God has done on our behalf through Jesus. Uh, another thing we're going to find is how Jesus is declared our Savior, how he's declared the Messiah. It's a really important thing uh, to, to make note of. It's an important thing to see in the Scripture. It's an important thing to have established in your heart and in your mind uh, as we continue on uh, as believers. And then another thing that we're going to find is what our hope comes through. You know, the, I believe the last song we sang there involved a line that Jesus is our, our living hope. A great line to, to proclaim in song, a wonderful proclamation to make together in unison and a very true statement. I think it's important to see what our hope comes through because I don't know any person that does not need hope. I mean, no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what age, no matter what life experience, no matter what demographic, there are things that we're hoping and believing God for. And as we see the, the catalyst for hope or those things that carry hope, it's important for us to uh, hold tight to those things so that we can be the recipients of hope and have the, uh, the benefits of hope in our lives. Uh, I want to get into the word this morning here. We're going to go into the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is where we're going to start off, and it's because we're going to see what God accomplished uh, through the cross. Now, I mentioned before that it can be a, a, a very uh, challenging thing to wrap your mind around. We're going to see that throughout the scripture. Now, sometimes things can just be a challenge in and of themselves, and other times there can be obstacles. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53, there are, are uh, people in, in that have established their faith around uh, the, the idea that Jesus uh, is not the Savior, is not the Messiah, and Isaiah chapter 53 is actually forbidden to be read in some circles. I remember doing some work in Israel, and I was talking to uh, a young uh, a Jewish man as we were talking I asked him, you know, what are your thoughts on Jesus? Uh, it would have been Yeshua. What are your thoughts on Yeshua? And uh, we were conversing, and we talked about the different figures in the Scripture there. I asked him his thoughts on King David, because obviously King David would be a, a figure that he would have uh, in his life and, and celebration in, in the Scripture and things like that. And as we started talking, he, he kept referring to King David in, in kind of the, the, the present form, and I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And then he said something really strange, and I said, I don't know if we're on the same page, you know. I mean, we're just trying to figure this out. He was referring to the hotel that is called the King David, not the actual person that was the king of Israel. So we kind of got a few wires crossed, but then we, we got some things cleared up, and we started talking about Jesus. 
And there were two areas of scripture that were forbidden for this young man to read without the presence of, of a rabbi in order for that rabbi to communicate to him that, that this is not referring to Jesus so that he wouldn't be confused. Well, let me tell you something. It's very much referring to Jesus, and it will not confuse. It will bring you to the truth. And if you want to know what those two areas are for your own reading, I would encourage you to read them yourself, Isaiah chapter 53 and Psalm 22. You will see in Isaiah 53 and in Psalm 22 a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ long before it ever came to pass at the hands of Pontius Pilate and the people of Israel. But Isaiah chapter 53 is where we're going to start today because we're going to see what God accomplished through the cross as we read there. Isaiah chapter 53, I want to read specifically verses 4 through 6. Now we make these, these declarations, one of our songs that we sang this morning a very energetic song, a song that will move you in, in your emotion. You know, that the, the cross has the final word, and we sing of, of those things, and it's a celebration, and, and, and you can't help but, but get involved in the song, the beats and the words. It's an exciting uh, thing to consider. But when you ask yourself, well, what does that mean? Final word on what? Well, you'll find the answer to that here in Isaiah 53, and I think it's a good thing for us to find. Uh, so Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 4, you're going to see some things that are taken care of at the cross. I want to read these, and we'll go back and we'll, we'll revisit them quickly. Surely our griefs he himself, now that's Jesus, bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves looked at him and simply saw him stricken or, or crucified, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression and crushed for our iniquities. Uh, the, the, the chastisement for our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each one has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now, this is written years and years and years and years and years before the cross of Jesus Christ, but yet we see a picture painted plainly of, of the beating and the crucifixion of our king, and also, why? I mean, consider this. There's a few things that, that I like to do when I read a passage of Scripture like this. I, I like to circle key words that stand out. I mean, here's a few words that stand out. I want you to ask yourself, as these words are read, uh, have any of these things ever touched your life? Uh, grief, sorrow, rebellion, uh, iniquity, that's a word for sin. It's a, it's a big word for sin. I mean, these are things that we all deal with. Sin and corruption, the results of that sin and corruption, grief and sorrow, and yet these are all of the things that Jesus took to the cross. That our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, our rebellion he was pierced for, our sin he was crushed for. That all of his suffering was for our well-being. Now that word our is a really powerful word. It's inclusive of the one that's reading, that would be you, and then everyone else that's present. I mean, there's really no one excluded. These things belonged to us, but yet he took them. And when you ask yourself, you know, what does it mean to say things like the cross had the final word? What does it mean to say that Jesus uh, took my sin on the cross? What you see here is that all of the things that were bringing oppression, death, and separation from God into our life, he took. And the question is then, what did he do with them? 
Well, it was God's good will to see those things fall upon him so that they would not fall upon you. Here's a few passages of scripture of things that Jesus took to the cross when Jesus went to the cross on your behalf. Uh, one would be sickness. And of course, the ultimate result of any sickness is death. But Isaiah 53 uh, verse 10 says, it was the Lord's good pleasure, it was God's will to crush him, putting him to grief. The literal translation there is made him sick. That he would render himself a guilt offering on our behalf. Uh, another thing that Jesus took to the cross is the curse, the result of, of sin and corruption uh, separating man from blessing in, in any circumstance, any, from any perspective. Galatians 3.13 addresses this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's a wonderful passage to underline. It goes on to say this, having himself become a curse for us. There you see Jesus taking everything that you deserved on himself so that you wouldn't have to carry it. If you want to see uh, the results of that, Go to, to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 will give you a really incredible description of what blessing looks like and what cursing looks like. The idea that Jesus would remove curse from your life is the idea that Jesus would introduce blessing into your life in every wonderful form in which God blesses. And let me tell you something. God is capable of some incredible and infinite blessing. You'll see another thing in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus became sin with your sin. It reads like this. God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that you might become the righteousness of God through him. Now, these are things that we can read and we can say and we can hear and maybe you know, we could do a little better on a Bible trivia night or something like that, but it's really awesome to ask God, make this soak into my heart and my mind. What does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to become the curse on my behalf? What does it mean for him to become sickness on my behalf? What does it mean for him to become sin on my behalf? And how does that work? Now, this is where, you know, I opened up by saying this is a hard thing. It's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. I mean, when we're in this environment and we're talking about things, it's, it's not hard to say, yes, I agree with that. But it's hard for these things to soak in and have an effect. Let me give you just an example. I mean, when you turn to the scripture and you see things like the resurrection, everything that we would celebrate uh, today, every reason why I would, you know, put on a, a tie for Resurrection Sunday or, or, or come and celebrate would be that empty tomb. But think about that empty tomb for a second and think about those that encountered it. It was hard for them to wrap their mind around. I mean, you can see in the Gospels an account of those things. No one was embarrassed by it or ashamed of it. Nobody thought, hey, can we edit that out because that doesn't make us look really good. The, the story is pretty clear that, that the tomb was empty and that, that the one who discovered the empty tomb, her, her name was Mary, ran back to the other disciples and began to tell them something. Now, what's really incredible was what she told them. She didn't say, hey, everything he said came true. He was raised from the dead. She came back and she said, they moved him, and I don't know where. It's kind of interesting, right? I mean, she saw Jesus be crucified. She heard his words before the crucifixion that he would rise again. And then she sees the empty tomb. And rather than connect those dots, 
Rather than believe the voice that had raised the dead before, rather than believe the voice that had healed the sick before, rather than believe the voice that had fed the hungry and and met the needs of the needy, rather than believe that voice, her brain immediately went to something else, something more practical. Somebody came and moved him and we don't know where. Now you could read that and just kind of throw rocks at her and think, oh, you have little faith, but I do that all the time. I mean, something goes on in my life, and my first thought isn't always, well, God will deliver. My first thought is, oh, crud. We're sunk. Jeez. Right when I thought we were getting ahead, that happened. You know, your first thought goes negative, and this is, this is kind of the human condition. This is a real challenge. And I like this story because it continues to reveal this challenge in kind of a real form, you know. I mean, like, these are real people. She sees that empty tomb. She, she doesn't think, oh, he, he's resurrected. She thinks they moved him and we don't know where. She goes and she tells all the disciples, the same disciples that saw the miracles, that heard him say, hey, listen, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come out of the grave. They, they all heard it. And when she tells them, they run to the tomb. Now, I read that and I get a little inspired because I think, man, it would take faith to get me to run anywhere. They run to the tomb, and then they get to the tomb. And the stone's been rolled away, and, and they're, they're looking inside, and there's no body. Right? And you're thinking, okay, well, here's the moment where, where, where faith is engaged. This is the moment where, where we see a, a faith manifest. But yet we still deal with doubt. I mean, they heard the words. They see the empty tomb. And it says when they see the empty tomb, they walk out and they go home. The thought is still, he's just gone. Somebody moved him. I mean, we could continue with the examples because there's more, but but I'd rather get to the point of what really matters, what needs to happen in everyone's life, what needs to happen in my life, what needs to happen in your life. These people were there, they heard his words, and when they saw all the evidence that would, would point toward that he has risen, they all think he's just gone. Until something wonderful happens. Until they see him. Now this ought to make alarms go off in our mind and and flags wave. This is kind of the point. Like, it's going to be really difficult for me to believe any of this stuff until I see him. You know, that describes my life. I grew up in church. I mean, I I went to services. I said, I listened. I I would sit through songs and wonder, why do they sing so long? And I would sit through messages and think, doesn't this guy ever make a point? You know, I mean, I would sit through those things. It had no impact on my life. And then one day I saw Jesus. And when I saw Jesus, my life was turned around. When I saw his power touch my life, when I saw his goodness, his mercy, and his grace, that is a moment that I could sit and spend hours trying to define to you, and you could spend hours trying to define that moment that took place in your life to me, and yet it might not translate because it was such a powerful and profound moment, it defies words. But people need to see Jesus. In fact, seeing Jesus is an important element of the scripture. I mean, Jesus is with his disciples and he's entered into Jerusalem. He's about to go to the cross. It's just days away and there's a knock on the door. You'll find this in the scripture around John chapter 12. And it's a group of people, a group of people that are are there at the front door. And you know what they say? When the door is answered, they say, we want to see Jesus. 
We want to see Jesus. Well, you can't fault them for that because Jesus puts on a pretty good show, right? I mean, if you went to a, a church meeting and you saw people being healed and things, it'd be pretty exciting. That's an exciting thing to see. I've seen those things, and let me tell you, it is exciting. I watched a young man get his hearing restored, and everyone in the crowd knew this young man to be deaf from birth. And, and let me tell you something, they blew the roof off that place when that kid stood up, took the microphone, and said, I can hear. And, and there were people that didn't believe, and, and they were walking up to him and talking to him, and then they were walking away, shaking their head in disbelief. I can't believe he can hear me. He can hear me. I mean, I've seen those things, and when you see those things, you realize, wow, this is really attractive. So it's no big deal to me that somebody knocks on the door and says, hey, we want to see Jesus. I mean, the guy's a superstar. But what's really a big deal is what Jesus says in response. When the disciples go and say, hey, there's somebody at the door and they're saying they want to see you, Jesus begins to say some really powerful and effective things, things along the line of, this is why I'm here. The time has come. The hour is now. This is why I'm here. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. And one of three times in the scripture that the audible voice of God is recorded, God responds from heaven saying, I have glorified it and I'm going to continue to glorify it. Now, all of that is, is just kind of, again, uh, good information to have in your mind. The point is, is that when the request is made to see Jesus, Jesus says, that's the point. That needs to, to, to stand out to us. It needs to mean something to us. I mean, it's one thing to, to talk people into Christianity. It's another thing to, to know, you know what to say at the right time, be able to answer the right Bible trivia and offer the right scripture. Those are all great things to do. But what people need, what Jesus would say himself, the point is, is for them to see Jesus. I can talk about the empty tomb the same way Mary did. Hey, the tomb is empty, but that doesn't mean anyone in the room believes. They can go see the empty tomb, but it doesn't mean they believe but it's when they see Jesus. It's when they see Jesus that all doubt is shattered. Seeing Jesus is the priority. And that ought to have an impact on our lives. You know, I mean, in our prayer lives, Father, I want to see Jesus. Show me Jesus. Show me Jesus in my daily life. Show me Jesus in, in the things that I do. Show me Jesus in the things that I say. Show me Jesus in the people that I deal with. I want to see Jesus. Let my eyes be open to see Jesus. Now, when we talk about uh, Resurrection Sunday, it's a wonderful thing to consider seeing Jesus, that he would be out of the tomb, that he would be present, and what that resurrection would mean. I told you before we are going to find uh, how Jesus is declared the, the Savior, the Christ. I mean, there's been lots of wonderful people do lots of great things in the world. They've helped a lot of people. They've, they've brought great messages but Jesus is exclusive in this. Romans 1.4, Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by resurrection from the dead by the Holy Spirit. Nobody else has pulled that off. It's irrefutable. History testifies of it. And it's important and necessary for us today to not let the resurrection of Jesus Christ just go down in history as, as fable or as, as a, a story, but rather it needs to be a historic moment in time. You know, it's vital for our faith. I want to give you a passage of scripture and see if this stands out to you like it would stand out to me this morning from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10, 
it would be verses 9 and 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Now, it talks about uh, uh, being saved. It talks about becoming a believer. It talks about new birth. And the way it talks about these things is, is it says that if you believe in your heart that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then salvation is the result. Because it's with the heart that you believe and are justified and it is with the mouth that you confess and are saved. A great, great passage of scripture, a great passage of scripture to, to have in, in your heart and in your mind and to share evangelistically. But consider that first uh, a set of events there. One is confessing that Jesus is Lord. And then two, and equally important, is believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's, that's kind of priority. I mean, what a great thing. I see Jesus is Lord all over the place. You see it on bumper stickers. You see Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Equally as important, God raised him from the dead. Now, that doesn't make a snappy a bumper sticker, does it? Like, it just doesn't roll off the tongue like Jesus is Lord, but yet equally important that that be a part of our confession, that that be a part of our encouragement, that that be foundational in our faith. And there's reason for that. It goes beyond just believing a, a point in history as accurate. It's getting on board with what God is doing and what he manifested in that history, in that moment. I want to give you a, a, a passage of scripture here, but before I do that, I want to say a couple of things. Now, we've said these things before in other messages, so they may uh, sound familiar to you. But have you ever considered why the reward for Christianity is eternal life? I mean, you ever let the wheels turn on that? Like, like what is that? Was it, you know, a group of men were looking to spread the gospel and they thought, you know, hey, how can we get people on board with this? What, what's the best pitch for this? Well, you know, nobody wants to die, so let's just, you know, make it eternal life and, and I'll bet you people will sign up, right? Well, I mean, it's a pretty awesome reward, isn't it? Uh, so you think about this and you're thinking, where does this come from? This promise of life forever. And it's enough to make you pause and just consider, why do I believe that because I'm a Christian, I will live for eternity? I mean, it can get a little quiet when you think about that. But it makes perfect sense. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here uh, for your notes. Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says the following, that the result of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Why would there be eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord? Because in Jesus Christ our Lord is the forgiveness of sin. You get rid of sin, you get rid of death. It's the reason why Jesus would be proclaimed the Son of God, the, the Holy One, the Christ, the Messiah, by coming out of the grave, because death had no claim on him. And in faith, the righteousness that comes through faith, you being called by his name, all by that wonderful free gift of faith, death has no claim on you. That is why as you become a believer, a Christian, the result is life forever. And as we see these things, it begins to make more and more sense. And we'll see 1 Corinthians 15, 26 talks about death, death being destroyed in the very end. That this is a temporary thing, that this temporary thing will be done away with at the judgment of God. Jesus talks about these things as he talks about uh, life and life after death. In the book of Revelation, Revelation 1.18, he introduces himself 
as the one who is alive forevermore. He says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I now have the keys to death and Hades. That's a real encouraging thing. I mean, the idea of living forever is not just wishful thinking for Christians in order to promote a more moral lifestyle. But the idea of life eternal is the result of the removal of sin and all of its corruption at the atoning power of the blood of Jesus shed on your behalf. At God's will through the sacrifice of our King Jesus, everything that we celebrate on a Resurrection Sunday. And the result would be 1 Corinthians 15. It reads like this, this, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory over these things through Jesus Christ. There's where we win. And here's what happens when that takes place. Colossians 1, I want to read verses 13 and 14. He rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. None of these things would exist without the atoning that would take place through the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. I want to give you a passage of scripture here that we're going to wrap up with. I mentioned that there's a a place where hope is found, a, a source for hope, where hope comes. 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to look at verses 3 and 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who by his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is where we obtain our inheritance, that which will never pass away, that which will not fade away, that which is reserved for us, protected by the power of God, through faith and salvation. In this you greatly rejoice. This is a wonderful and powerful testimony of the reward that is stored up for all believers. And that hope is found through one thing, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The idea that there's freedom from sin and all of its corruption is more than just an idea created by men in order to promote a faith or a religion. It's a reality confirmed by the empty tomb itself and the promised deliverance from sin and all of the results of sin, ultimately death. It's the celebration and the hope that we hold as believers. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray and I want to ask God for something very specific for us as believers as we stand together here. To see the things that Jesus would take out of the way as as we ought to see them. Because oftentimes I see the obstacles in my life as the things that Jesus took to the cross. Things like grief and sorrow. uh, Things like rebellion and and things like uh, sin and corruption. I want things to be put in their proper place, not just so that church becomes a a place of of, uh, medicinal meeting of needs, but rather it becomes a place where we share with one another the freedom and the liberty that Jesus paid the highest price to bring into our lives. 
Not just where we would come and clear our conscience on occasion, but a place where we would come and celebrate the absolute victory that comes in Jesus. Now, I want to ask this question. I don't want you to answer it. I don't want you to answer out loud or anything, but I want you to, to consider what your answer would be in your own, your own thoughts. Is where, they're where you stand. Those things that were found in Isaiah 53, grief and sorrow, uh, rebellion and sin, where do those things stand in your life? Is there an area of your life that is being led by grief? Sorrow, is there an area of your life that's being led by sorrow? Rebellion, is there an area of your life that's being led by rebellion? You know what you should do, but you choose to do the opposite anyway. And sin, is there an area of your life that you know is corrupted by sin? Now, the idea of presenting this isn't to introduce any thoughts of, of shame, but rather to open up the door for a conviction, a conviction by the Holy Spirit, just to know that these things are not meant to be in control of my life. Rather, these are the things that Jesus has taken to the cross at the will of God for me so that I can be free from these things. Just like the word says, this fell on him for my well-being so that I can be well, so that you can be well. And I want to pray, I want to ask God as these things come to mind that they be put in their proper place. That they truly be taken out of the way, as the scripture would put it. So that that wellness that God has promised and brought into our lives through Jesus can be fully accepted, celebrated, received, and lived out. And I can tell you, it glorifies God for us to be well. So there where you stand, I want to pray, and you're welcome to be in a, a, a state of agreement or receiving, however you choose. But I want to trust and believe that God is at work, that he's at work ministering to areas of grief and sorrow, rebellion and sin in our lives. That we would not only have the benefit of, of liberation from those things, but that we would have the benefit of the celebration that is the result of that freedom. There where you stand, I want to pray. Father, we bless your name and we thank you. We thank you for the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. We celebrate a Resurrection Sunday. That he would take these things out of the way and that he would victoriously be raised up from the dead, testifying of your goodness and your mercy, that he truly is our Savior. And in accordance with your word, we confess that Jesus is Lord. And we surrender our hearts to the belief the understanding, the embracing of the truth that you did raise him up from the dead. And as we celebrate resurrection, as we celebrate the freedom from sin and corruption, as we celebrate the life that you would bring into our lives as you would wash away all sin and all corruption, we stand united to surrender grief and sorrow, rebellion and sin to the work of your hand let these things have no control over our lives, but let them be completely surrendered to you for the sake of freedom and liberty. As we see these things revealed in our hearts, let them be laid down with this simple confession. Jesus took that. Jesus took my grief. Let me be filled with joy.
Jesus took my sorrow. Let me be filled with celebration. Jesus took my rebellion. Let me be filled with righteousness. Jesus took my sin. Let me be filled with life. Let this confession open up the doorway for everything of your kingdom to flood over us, to purge any inferior thought and thinking, and lead us to a place where our thinking would be in alignment with what is true, that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to take all of these things on our behalf. And let our confession be that you've done this so that we can be well, and let our wellness bring you honor and glory. We give you thanks for the work of your spirit. We give you thanks for your love and affection revealed to our lives. We give you thanks for Jesus. And we celebrate the empty tomb as our risen Lord rules and reigns. We bless your name and we give you thanks. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we do this. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.